20 years now, and I've actually been uh, loving God, ministering this gospel around the world. And Corey's um, the outreach and missions pastor at one of our sister churches um, in Chantilly, Virginia, uh, called Grace Covenant Church. And Corey's been um, on staff with multiple churches, helping to plant churches, helping to do outreaches, helping to do evangelism in South America, in in Latin America, in Africa, in um, the all throughout the U.S. And um, literally, he's um, been raised raising up people, seeing them come to Jesus, and raising up disciples and leaders who are helping to pastor churches throughout the um, um, continental United States now um, and the other parts of North America. And so if you would, please today give him a round of applause because this is a man of God who's labored tirelessly throughout the world. One of my favorite stories... um, Michelangelo, when he was forming the masterpiece David, he had a large stone and he was working on this stone and doing what had never been done, chipping away and forming what we know as, as the, the David. And, and so in, in the process of doing that, he had multiple people that came up to him and said, what, what are you doing? Why are you uh, forming like that? Sh- cutting on the stone, what is going on here? And he said, I see the masterpiece on the inside of the stone and I'm doing everything I can to set it free. What I love about Pastor Rollin is that he has this unique way of seeing things inside of people that they don't see themselves and doing everything that they can, that he can to release it. That this is the pastor that you have. The fishers are here with supernatural vision to see the masterpieces on the inside of you and ultimately this city and do everything they can to set it free, to, to join the Spirit of God to do something supernatural in the city. And I just want you to know that you're in the right place. You really are. Uh, as hard as it is to live in a city like this where isolation, loneliness cannot just creep in, it becomes a reality. And you can often ask defining questions of, am I, am I really in the right place? And Because you're here, let me just say that you are. And that God is doing something really fun and engaging to reach this city. So thank you for being here. But I just wanted to say thank you, Pastor Rollin, for who you are, for the way that you courageously came here. He's just one of the finest men I I know. So um, again, uh, my name is Corey. Uh, I have have four amazing kids. I don't know if, if we've got... Um, the pick, yeah, there we go. So I've been married for almost 18 years. I've got four kids, almost 16, 14, 12, and nine. Um, and just saying that, that I have four kids who's almost, like one is almost driving, reminds me of how stinking old I am. Um, and one of the realities about getting older is that I have to face the fact that my memory is getting bad. Uh, I don't want to admit it, but I have a tough time remembering names, birth dates, anniversary, <laughs> anniversaries, uh, singular, uh, pin codes, passwords. I mean, how many of you guys are getting to an age where you're starting to struggle with your memory? Yeah. <laughs> so some are doing the old elbow. Like, you're terrible with your memory. I, what's as shocking about 
what just in even considering how bad my my memory is with dates and pin codes i'm um, assaulted with the fact that my spiritual memory is even worse i don't know if you're like me but i'm amazed at how easy it is for me to forget god have you ever been there where you, you you're amazed at at how easy it is to forget God's grace and his mercy and his kindness and, and how much he's done for us and how easy it is for us to walk away from that. That, that God can bless us and, and show his grace upon us and remind us of the fact that he's with us, that he's not a God who's distant, he's a God who's close. That, that, that we, he's not a grumpy old grandpa who's in the back room and only comes out occasionally to tell us to turn the music down, right? I mean, this is a God who's engaged with our life and he constantly proves that and yet Corey Bendix and, and, the, and the bent of sin on the inside of me, man, it's so easy to forget God. So easy. So the question, I think, of the day, in, in a culture that, that is overwhelmed by information and overwhelmed by distractions and overwhelmed by opportunities to do more and give more and, and connect more in so many different places, meanwhile, in regards to our relationship with God, man, we, it's so easy to forget him. And so the question I believe is, is what does it look like to truly connect in a relationship with God on an ongoing basis where, man, like we actually remember him. We walk in a, in a life of remembrance. And I really believe in Joshua chapter 23 and 24, we've been going through the series, Joshua Generation, where where we've been kind of sifting, our, kind of slowly making our way through the book. And, and so I, I want to kind of skip to the end. And in Joshua chapter 23 and 24, that's going to be kind of my focus. But what we're going to find is that Joshua is, is facing this moment. He's about to die, and he's asking himself the same question. Will these people remember God? When I'm gone, will they remember God? Will, will they take everything that God did over the course of this whole generation of, of walking into the unknown and God doing things time and time and time again, revealing his, his, his love, his care, his compassion, but ultimately his control and power over everything? I mean, you have in the book of Joshua, God doing the heavy lifting from start to finish. But Joshua's in this defining moment in 23 and 24 where he's, he's really conflicted. Will they remember Will they remember? And so we find in Joshua chapter 24, verses uh, 19 to 25, I'm just going to dive in, we're going to read this, and then we're going to unpack it. And Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is jealous God. He will not forgive your your rebellion and your sin. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you. After he has been good to you, but the the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them 
decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. I want to title this Living in Remembrance. Living in Remembrance. Um, Growing up, one of the highlights of my summer was the opportunity to go to my grandparents' house in Lake Kiowa, Texas. About an hour outside of Dallas, my parents would um, fly around the corner up onto the gravel driveway, and before the car was in park, I was out the door, running, running through. And uh, my grandpa had corn up to, uh, I was 10 at the time, so up to my head. I mean, just go running through the corn into um, the back entrance of this house where my grandma was cooking something amazing. And just the sights and the smells of life with my grandparents was, was really, uh, it was engaging, it was defining for me. But even more defining than the sights and the smells, of whether it was this, the, the, the feeling of corn on my ears as I'm running through, or even the smell of my grandma's uh, meatloaf, um, I would go through the kitchen and into the den where, uh, where there was a Renoir painting. Um, I, th- I think we've got a picture. Th- this isn't the exact painting, but it's something like this. And this, 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 paint, this painting, when it comes to Renoir, if you don't know who, who he is, he's an 18th century French Impressionist painter that they just sold one not too long ago for, I think, $25 million, right? So now believe me, that, that we, the, the Bassett family doesn't have the $25 million, um, but it was something like priceless, right? It was a beautiful painting. And I remember looking at that thing. That thing had been passed down generation to generation. It was a part of our like our, our story as a family. And as, as time would go on, my grandma and my gran- grandpa, they, they would move from Lake Kiowa to, um, to Florida, to the v- villages Florida. And somehow in the process, um, this painting got put up in the attic. Time would go on, and my grandma would die, and my grandpa would get, get, to, get to an age where his m- memory was a little off. So my, gra- my, my, my mom flew down to Florida uh, to, to help my grandpa make the transition from the house that he had to the house that he was going to be you know, s- staying in when it comes to a community home. And he had gathered all of the stuff that he wanted to give to Goodwill. It was a pretty large pile. My grandma was... Or my mom was sifting through this pile just to make sure that everything was good. And she's going through it, and, and all of a sudden she, she sees a box. A box that was abnormal. A box that she knew wasn't supposed to be there. And so she began to open up this box, and she pulls out this masterpiece that had been passed down from generation to generation. One that, with my grandpa... Because uh, there was a level of despising what he had, he eventually forgot it. And, and my, my, my mom looks at this and says to my grandpa, Grandpa, don't you remember? When it comes to this text that we just read, there's an urgency that Joshua has that, that kind of 
unpacks this story and, co- and connects this story with this text. This is what I mean. Is that in the same way that my grandpa, who had slowly allowed for this painting to get up into the attic, and what was once priceless to him now was forgotten, and he was about to give it away. That it's amazing, that, at least for me, how easy it is to take this, this beautiful portrait of Jesus and slowly allow it to get to the attic. Through the busyness of time, through the chaos of, of the, the way by which life goes and the pace by which it goes, it's so easy to allow who Jesus is, what he's done, his love for me to slowly make its way to the attic. And then over the course of time, what was once cherished and what was once a masterpiece, now you're willing to give it away. And this is exactly what's happening with the people of Israel and the tension that Joshua has because Joshua knows the grandparents of this generation that is about to live on. As Joshua dies, this generation is connected to the generation that that made their way across the Red Sea, right? And then the first, one of the first acts that they did after they they had witnessed the miracle of God's power taking winds and waves and quieting them, parting it and allowing an entire people of over a million to, to walk across with success from one side to the other. They witnessed a miracle, and guess what the first thing they did when they, when they crossed over? They took gold and they made an idol, and they worshipped it. So it's almost like it's an inherent on the inside of this people to forget God. It's so easy to do that. And Joshua is concerned. He's, 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 he's genuinely afraid and trying to figure out how can I help them remember God? What can I do to create almost like a strategy to walk them through ways by which they can remember God so that they will never forget him? And, and what's unique is that, that it's not just inherent in this generation. There's something in the human genome, the human structure that naturally forgets God. And this is why, is that Genesis 1 and 2 give us a, a, an amazing um, overview of God's plan for humanity. That we, we were made to have this ongoing fellowship with our God. Like, like to, to connect with him at such a level where we walk with him in the cool of the day. Can, can you imagine this? I mean, when you walk with someone, you walk with them in order to get to know them and to connect with them. I mean, if you're running with somebody, like there's no talking. Like you're just trying to accomplish something, right? But when you're walking, it's very, very different. It's a relational connecting action. And this is what God did with his creation. He's walking with man and, and allowing them to get to know his nature and character and vice versa, right? So like, they were made for fellowship, but they were also made for freedom. Like they walked around naked. They walked around and had no shame. They walked around and had no guilt. And this is what man was, was made for. And then, and then not, not just fellowship and freedom, but they were made for a function. They were made to, to partner with their creator to name all of the animals, and take care of the garden. And this is, this is God's plan for humanity, is to be a kingdom of, of gardeners, of priests, that now extend God's kingdom throughout the world. This was his original plan. 
And guess what happens? The first act of disobedience, of sin, came as a result of forgetting God. You can basically say, you can basically say that the root of all sin is forgetting God. This is, this is what happened with Adam and Eve. They forgot God, and guess what they did? They took the keys of the kingdom and handed them over to God's enemy. And, and the propensity to forget God has been written on the human heart ever since. Every one of us naturally forgets the God who made us. It's almost like this is, this is our pre-wired disposition towards God is to forget him. He does so much, and we respond to him by saying, I'll forget you. And what's so beautiful about this is that even though we forgot God, guess what the rest of the story of the Bible is all about? God pursuing man. And that although we forgot him, he refuses to forget us. And so you have things like the rainbow. What is the rainbow? The rainbow is just a sign, a symbol, that although you forgot me, I will what? I'll never forget you, ever. And then all throughout the Old Testament, you have things like, like feasts and, and these, these, these beautiful moments of, of encountering God through going up to the temple. And like the, even the calendar is constant reminders to help mankind remember God because God knows that we're going to forget him. This is, this, is, this is the beauty of who God is. Is that, is that e- even now, even though we forget him, he promises never, ever to forget us. And so it drives us to, to Joshua chapter 23. And what's, what's, what's going on here is, again, this is a defining moment. Because I've, I, at least for me, I've, I've wondered, like with Joshua, why doesn't Joshua have a predecessor, right? I mean, like with Moses, Moses had... Joshua. And then when Moses died, God spoke to Joshua and said, him, said some really amazing things. I think we went over that text of be strong and courageous and, and take the book of the law and, 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 and hold on to it, right? Well, what's, what's amazing about Joshua 23 is that um, what theologians believe is that although Joshua doesn't have a predecessor singular, what Joshua does is Joshua looks to the people and says, you are my predecessor. I'll prove it in 23 verse 6. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, 6. It says this. Um, it says, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the, to the right or to the left. What, that's really familiar text because that's exactly what God told Joshua. So this is like this defining moment where Joshua is now taking on like the kingship of the people of Israel. He's now taking on the authority to take God's laws and to embody them and to walk them out and to help the people practice them. He is responsible for that. Well, Joshua turns to the people and says, we're not going to have one person who continues this. We're going to have all of you. Like All, all of you are going to be like me. Now, now this at least for me, what this does, this is, this is huge because, because this is, throughout the book of Joshua, you see Joshua, he's been perfect the entire book. There's nothing wrong with him. There's no mo- like moment of, of him messing up, like with, with the, the example of Moses. 
So like the whole story is helping you almost go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and realize that God is going to use his people to restore everything lost in, in, in the, the Garden of Eden. And he's doing it with this kingdom of priests. This, the whole people are now like, are going to be the fulfillment of everything that was lost in the garden. And God's, God's going to do it like, like we're so close to, to, to like restoration from the past is going to be fulfilled in the present. I mean, it's all happening. So there's, like with Joshua, he's like, man, I need to help these people realize that the only way that you, that, that you walk in, in the type of calling God has for you is to remember God. So there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot that's going on. And so in Joshua chapter 24, the whole chapter, this is what he does. He has a strategy. Helping people remember God is going to, is going to like follow a grid of three things. He's going to look to the past. He's going to make promises. He's going to help the people make a promise, a commitment, a pact in community with their God. And then he's going to take them to a place. Past, a promise, and he's going to take them to a place. Now let's, so so, so it's, this, is, this is what's happening. I, I hope, again, I hope this makes Sense, I'm not going too, too fast here. So Joshua uses the hope of the past, the cement of promises, and the momentum of a place to prepare his people to live a life of remembrance. This is what, this is what Joshua is doing. So, so he, let's just start with this idea of the hope of the past. Now what Joshua does is he starts with this, he's taken this whole people to this place called Shechem. And this is a really important place because the promises that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, it was in Shechem. So it's almost like God takes, takes Israel back to the very place where it all began. And he says to him, like, that God is going to now continue in you what he started in Abram. But it requires you to remember that as a result of remembering God, it'll allow you to live out the heartbeat of who God is. If you forget him, you're going to walk away from him. So it's all about remembering, right? And so, so he, he, he talks, he, he, he starts this whole process of pointing the people of Israel back to the past. And he walks them through the miracle of, of everything that had happened in the book of Joshua. He helps them remember the past. Do you realize that it's so hard for us to remember what God has done in our own personal lives because of how busy we are? That I found for me personally, pausing and considering what God has done in me, the miracle of, of his grace in my life is almost, it's almost like elusive because of how the phone that I have beckons me to look at the present or the future. I've got to look at my calendar I've got to look at what's coming up, or I've got to figure out what's happened on ESPN in the, in the present, right? I mean, we touch that phone over 1,120 times a day. Between the phone, your computer, your iPad, we're touching them. Like, do you realize there's, there's 1,200 minutes in one day? We're, t- we're touching our devices at one time a minute. It, and, and yet what Joshua's doing with the people is that it starts with remembering the past, like considering, like, what has God done in your life that you need to consider that gives you courage to move forward? 
Like, like for, for all of you, you have stories of God's grace that has rescued you, that has restored you. Like you're, 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 you're here as a result of, of miracles. And it's so easy to forget the past miracles because of present needs. I mean, have, have, have you ever noticed that? That present needs cause you to forget past miracles. And so pausing and actually considering, like, like I, as I was driving here, like I, I, I was driving in this, in, in this car on, on the way here, and it threw me back to when I was 19, and I, had, I, I went to a bar, and I had way too much to drink. And I got into a car. I was driving home. And I blacked out on the way home. And I have no idea how I got home, but I got home. And I woke up the next morning crying because I realized that I was a walking miracle. I could have killed multiple people. I could have killed myself. And I had no idea how in the world did I get here. And it was like that was a defining moment for me that drove me to a realization that I needed a savior. I was broken on the inside and I needed someone from the outside, an outside source to rescue me from myself. I finally came to a conclusion that nobody has hurt me more than me. And I have, I have to have someone rescue me. And it, it all fit together. It all came to this conclusion as a result of that moment where, where my eyes were open, my heart was softened, and I was ready to go all the way in with this God who had gone all the way in on me when it comes to his son, Jesus. But that, that was a moment for me. And, and I... Just in driving here, I remembered touching that steering wheel, how I had blacked out. And, and those moments of remembering those miracles, it, 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 it's almost like it rescues me from this idea that it's all about me, one, or that, it, that it's about my performance to move forward, but it locks me in on, God, on God's grace and the fact that he's always the one that's been doing the heavy lifting in my life. And it, it helps me remember that. And it fuels me for future, for all of the future adventures that are to come because I have a God who is committed to my past of, of like revealing himself like all along the way. In fact, you, you have guys like David. David did this in a, in a pretty substantial way. So in the Bible, there's a guy named David who's, who's one of the kings of Israel. He's in the line of Jesus and and I think for many of us, we, we know the story of Goliath, right? But after Goliath, his, his father-in-law wants to kill him. So he, he's, he's on this seven-year journey, running away, just trying to survive for seven years in caves. But on the way out of town, in 1 Samuel 21, verses 8 through 10, this dude goes to this, this place called Nob. It was a, it was, it was a it was a priest there, and he goes in to get supplies. And he says, I need bread. Do you have any bread? Yes, we've got bread. And he said, do you have any weapons? Because I don't have any. And this, guy, this, this, this priest said, we've only got one. It's the sword of Goliath. Do you want that? And David says, absolutely. Give me the sword of Goliath. Now, there is no way that he's going to be able to use that sword for anything. Because it's, it's Goliath's sword. Goliath was about 10 feet tall, nine and a half feet tall. His sword was as tall as me. He's not, this dude is not going to be using this sword for anything. Physically, 
But I'm just, if I have a sanctified imagination, I know for a fact for the next seven years, he woke up, rolled over, and he looked at that sword every morning. Sword of Goliath got him through seven years of wilderness and wanderings and, and just trying to survive. That sword of Goliath was a signification of what God had done in the past and points him to the hope of what God's going to do in the future. See, what David, what Joshua does with the people of Israel is he starts off by pointing them to the past. I, I, I dare you, sometime today, write out all of the things just in the last two, three, four, five months, maybe a year, of what God has done. You, like, it's going to be a significant list. Now go back five years and then 10 years. And to keep that list as a constant reminder of the fact that God has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten you. In a city where you feel like you've been forgotten by everyone, this is hope that God has not forgotten you and he uses the past to prove it. So he starts with the past, but then he moves on to this, th- these, these promises. He gets the people to make promises in community. Now, I, again, I am great at making promises and I'm amazing at breaking them. I think most of us are, right? We make promises on promises on promises. Yeah, let's have coffee. Forget. Yeah, yes, I'm going to join the gym. Not so much, right? Like, like this is, like, we love to make tons of promises, and we are, we are notorious at breaking what we promise to make or to do. And yet what, what, what Joshua's doing here is, is he starts with the past, but did he, he leads them to make promises in community, like in community, communal promises. I, I, think, I think we see it in, in um, uh, verse 18, I think it is. And the Lord drove out before us. I'm sorry, this is 16. This is what they're saying. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Again, he's, he's helping them make promises, but doing it Again, all the promises were was we want to obey God and we want to resist temptation, right? But they're doing it in community. Like the reason community in Chicago is so vital is because if you're not careful, you will make tons of promises to serve God alone and then you will not do them because this is what the human heart does. We overcommit and we do what we want to do. But community, when you're in community, you have people who are pushing you to where you're called to be. When you're gathering around people who love God, you get swept up in the undercurrent of honoring him because this is what you're made for. You're made to obey God and resist temptation, but you're made to do it in community. And, and the, 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 the idea of what's happening here. Is, is this, like he's, with Joshua, he's trying to get them to take the promises of God, the people of God, the nature and character of God, and wrap them around God's people to hold them tight. This is what I mean. I, I think I've got a, a picture of a balloon, a hot air balloon. In, at a state fair in Tennessee years ago, there was a moment where these, there was balloons like this that were tied down. And the fire had started, the heat had caused the balloon, one of the balloons to begin to rise, and it wasn't tied down properly, and it began to, to go up slowly. 
And there was multiple ropes that were connected to this, to these, to this one specific balloon. as a dirigible, I believe is what it was called. And multiple men went up to go to try to grab the rope, to hold the rope. And, and what happened is that as soon as they grabbed the rope, something sparked in the fire in the balloon, and the balloon took off. So you've got six guys holding on to ropes, dangling in the air. And the balloon kept rising and rising and rising. It was such a sad moment because one after another, these men, their grip slowly got tired. They couldn't hold on. And they fell except for one. They're watching in horror as this is happening. And they look at this one who kept, he, he continues to hold. And he holds and he holds and he holds and he holds. Over an hour, he was holding on. And no one, like, how is this guy doing it? He must have forearms. I mean, Popeye form, just like, how is he doing this? And he finally pulled this balloon down. And they asked him, how did you do this? And he said, this is what he said. He said, I finally realized after my grip was going out that I couldn't hold on to it, but I saw there was enough rope to wrap the rope around me. And that's what I did. I, I, I knew that the balloon was strong enough to hold me. I couldn't hold on to it, but it could hold on to me. And so I wrapped it around me and it allowed me to enjoy the view. When you take community and you join community and you then take the promises and the person of God in, in Jesus Christ and you wrap it around your life, you wrap it around in community, you wrap it around in openness, you wrap it around when it, when it comes to taking the secret parts of who you are and throwing them into the light. I mean, I've noticed that when it comes to certain parts of sin in me, it's like a fungus that it, the only way it grows is in the dark. And it just doesn't kind of grow. It explodes in the dark. But when I expose it to the light, every power that it has completely dies. It can't grow anymore. And see, what, we, what we're told is that the way by which you expose things in your soul is doing it in community. 1 John 1.8. When you're in a community of believers and you're gathering around together, to, to, to hold, to wrap the promises of God around your life. Because remember, you don't have the strength to follow God the way that you, that you should or that you need to. Thankfully, we have Jesus, one who has gone before us, who's lived this life that we couldn't live, and then through his son and through his spirit and through his people, he gives us the power to wrap who he is around who we are. It, it, it allows us to hold and to actually enjoy the view of life. I mean, for so many of us, we are not enjoying ourselves in Chicago because we haven't ultimately wrapped God's presence and his person and his word around our life through community. I dare you, allow this to be a year where you, immer you immerse yourself and trust that God is leading you to a place of taking the fungus of sin in the past and exposing it and allowing growth and life to, to, hit, to hit your existence, but the only way that occurs is in community. In community. Like, this is what, what Josh was trying to do. The only way you remember God is starting with the past, but then, then joining life in community 
and making promises together that we're going to do this together. This is what it looks looks like practically. So just a bit about me. Um, When I was nine years old, I went to a a Boy Scout camp where a handful of guys, they brought me into a tent and they exposed me to some horrific images that at the age of nine marked me, shattered parts of me. And trauma was entered into my existence as a nine-year-old. And it was almost like from nine to 39, I was, or 36 or so, I was stuck in that tent, if I'm like super honest. I felt, uh, I felt um, dirty. Uh, I felt unwanted. Uh, I felt desperate, but I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And at 36, 37-ish, I was invited by a guy in Nashville, David Houston. He invited me to, to do a small group that was built around this idea of the Conquer series. It was, it's basically facing some of the things from your past and bringing the hope of healing in the middle of it. And he just said, hey, I'm doing this. This has helped me in some areas. Why don't you join me in it? And I said, you know what, I'll do it because it'll help me you know, um, bring others into some freedom. It'll be great. L- little did I know that in stepping into community that the greatest places of pain, God was going to bring real healing to it. And so I joined for the next six weeks. I, I dove in. At first, it was hard. It was hard to even talk about nine, the age of nine. Talk about that tent. To talk about what happened in, in that tent. And, and as, I, as I began to, to, to realize that God was leading me, he was helping me taste a new aspect of God's grace and his love through community and through dragging stuff, that fungus that was in the dark, I was starting slowly to drag it into the light. And I'm telling you, like, that allowed me to breathe oxygen I'd never breathed before in my life. I'm telling you, some, some of you are, are here and you have been stuck in the past, stuck in what was, and you don't know how to get out of that. And I'm telling you, one of the ways that you, you encounter Jesus in new, in new ways and to receive a new freedom you've never felt or experienced before is, is through community. So it starts with the past, start and then continues with promises, and then he, the, with Joshua, he concludes with this place. This place called, it was this tree at Shechem. Now, if you, if you do a little bit of research with this tree, um, this is where Jacob, after he wrestles with God in Genesis 35, he, he goes to, to all of his, his people, right? His, he's got multiple wives, uh, not encouraged. Um, <laughs> he got a lot of kids. And he says, if you have jewelry that you have created to, to worship God, other gods, or if you have idols of gods, I want you to bring them to me because we're going to bury them underneath this tree. And that's what they did. It was a, it, this tree represented do-overs. This was a tree of starting over. And, and so with Joshua, what he does, he brings them to a physical place. Physical place, a tree. Now, you know where I'm going with this. That, 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 this, is, that this is what... What Joshua does to help God's people, Israel, 
get an understanding of what it looks like to live in remembrance of God's faithfulness, but what he wants to do in and through us in the future, right? So he brings them to a physical place. And that's how it ends. Joshua dies, and you have to ask yourself, well, then what happened to God's people in Israel? Well, this is what we find in Judges, the next chapter, or the next book, is the book of Judges. And this is what it says in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. I think the next slide, or two slides, I'm sorry. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. They had everything you could imagine. They had it all. And yet there was something in the human heart that naturally forgot God in the same way that that Genesis 3, Adam and Eve did, God's people, and all throughout the book of Exodus. And then it's continued in the book of Judges. God has this experience of his people forgetting him. And so the question remains, where is the better Joshua? What does it look like to, to not continue this whole idea of, of having everything when it, when it comes to God's proof and his love towards, extended towards us, and yet we forget him? What can change? Well, then you fast forward 2,000 years, a 1,000 years, and then a better Joshua, Jesus, comes. And this Jesus, he remembered Everything in regards to the past. He was, he, was a, he was a representation of the past. He fulfilled all of the promises. And he goes to a tree. He goes to a tree. He goes to a real place. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says this. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, what Jesus does is that this, this better Joshua goes to the tree. The very sig- signification of, of, of a physical place, of what, of what man was supposed to look out to remember God, and yet we forgot him. And yet what the tree, what the cross does, is it's a constant reminder that although we forgot him, he'll never forget us. See, see, what you have when it comes to the cross is you have a place where Jesus said yes to us long before we said yes to him. See, what you have in the cross is you have this place, this location, where, where one man, the perfect man, like a seed, was crushed and was buried. And yet through his life, through his death, through his burial, comes now the hope that now we have his heart to live in Chicago. And actually, in, in, surrounded by disappointment, surrounded by, by all types of opportunities, surrounded by busyness, and yet we can have a heart that is connected to the heart of God through his son Jesus, that, that, that now gives us the hope that we can continue to live a life of remembrance. We can live in this. We can live looking at the past. We can remembering God's faithfulness in the past. We can live in community when it comes to making promises together. And we can live in light of a place, a cross. And see, what Jesus does, he doesn't end there. In, in, in John chapter 21, verse, this is one of my favorite texts. This is what it says. It says, again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, this is like a, this is like a do-over from everything that Joshua's trying to do with his people, right? With God's people, Israel. Is he's trying to gather them around and say, remember, 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 and they don't. Well, Jesus takes his people, the disciples, gathers them around and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he breathes on them. And this word breathe, the only other time that it's used is it's in the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew Bible. It's translated into Greek. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, when God made man, he breathed on them. He takes dirt, worthless dirt, and he breathes on it and makes it a priceless masterpiece right? Like that's what's happening here. That, that what, God, what God and Jesus does is that Jesus breathes on his disciples, taking liars, dreamers, and misfits. He sets them aside to be a masterpiece, to be his church. And this is hope today. This is hope for us. I'll, I'll, con- I'll conclude with this story. Uh, my, 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 the same grandma that, um, I'm sorry, this is a, a different source. One of my grandparents um, on my dad's side, um, I, I had a, a type of relationship with them that uh, we, I don't know if you, if you have like one certain like word that you have with a buddy of yours or a friend of yours or even your husband or wife, that when you say that word, it's a pregnant word that means a lot. So I, I, I had this word later that I used with, with, with my grandma. And it was a word that, that she, she would say to, say to me, I'd say to her, and it, it, was, it meant we, you could say multiple sentences by saying the word later. It was, it was our word. And it was a word that we used, you know, growing up. And then as I got older, as I would talk to my grandma before I would hang up, I'd say, later, grandma. And she'd laugh, later, Corey. Well, that continued until she got older and, um, and was, was battling dementia and was about to pass. And every time I would talk to her, I would have to remind her of who, of who I was, of my kids, of, of how old I was. Um, and one of the last times we spoke, we were talking, and I don't know why I just decided to use the, our word. I said, later, Grandma. And there was something about that word that revived her out of the dementia that she had and actually brought her into the present in regards to the closeness of our relationship. It was like that word, it pierced through the dementia, and it awakened her, right? It, it brought her to me, and it sealed us in this moment, one of the last moments that we had, and it was, it was a priceless moment for me, because the power of a word along with the relationship was greater than the dementia that was waging a war against her right? And when, when Jesus is on the cross and he says, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Jesus speaks forgiveness to you and I, that is our word. That's our later word that beats, that, def- that, that defeats every attempt to wage war against you and I when it comes to our, our, our hearts to sequester us from the God that loves us and to push us away from remembering him, that word forgiveness 
is the hope that we have that brings us and seals us with himself and gives us hope to face everything that we're facing right now, knowing that although we have forgotten God, God will never forget us. He's put his spirit on the inside of me. He's breathed upon me. He's given me his people to now find connection. He's given me his word. He's given me a purpose and a destiny. He's given me something to do in Chicago. God has not left you alone. He has given you everything that you need to remember him because he's remembered you first. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I've said a whole lot, probably too much. But Lord, allow the words of forgiveness to remain, that we are forgiven fully, freely, forever, that we are loved in ways that we have no context of. God, that that you love us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And your love is what we need right now to receive in a fresh way. Allow your love to to bring out all of the miracles of the past. Allow us to, to sift through them slowly and with excitement, with a smile on our face, the same way that we were to look at pictures of a, of a, of our marriage, of our wedding, and and all of the memories that come with that and the emotions. Allow us to go through the album of your grace, to look into it, to be defined by it, to be brought into new courage as a result of it. God, allow us to run to community, not run away from it. Allow us to run to the cross, run to the cross for repentance, run to the cross for forgiveness. God, that this is the, the, the rhythms of remembering you is the past promises together and the place of the, of the cross. Lord, thank you for who you are, for what you're doing in us as a people, that you haven't forgotten us in this great, beautiful city. Thank you for Second City Church, all that you have done and the hope of what you will. In your name we pray.